0: They are our eleven warriors. Yes, they
1: are the eleven warriors—the most gifted and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going
0: to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom, who is basking in the glory of his victory (laughs) from last week. As I must begrudgingly concede defeat to Griffin. Uh, of course, on last week's episode, we did our draft, and you the people have spoken, and you have crowned Griffin the victor. Griffin getting over seventy-one percent of the vote. Myself coming in at about twenty-eight point six percent of a vote. I, I have to say, I, I'm I'm surprised. I I I'm not shocked that Griffin won because. He did get Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr. is really, really good. He also pulled off a, a very shrewd move of of drafting both Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams, which I think uh, both of those things had a significant influence on the vote. But I, I really did think it was going to be a close vote. But uh, the readers disagreed, and, and Griffin took the decisive win.
1: Yeah, Dan. My ego was desperately clamoring for that victory, so I, I was happy to see those results. I can't. I can't remember if I got any wins in the the basketball team drafts or not, but it feels like I had lost every previous team team draft we had done. So uh, I was glad that some of my tactics there paid off and kind of playing to perhaps some of the, the the fan support and some fan favorites there. There there was a groundswell of support for you that I saw though, where, where people were like, "I can't believe that the results are so you know lopsided," because Dan does have a case to be made here, but. At the end of the day, uh, that's one victory for for Mr. Griffin Strom here.
0: Yeah, I feel like I got disrespected a little bit, but you know that's that's okay. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you got to live, you got to live for results. You know, ultimately, uh, we live in a uh, democracy here, and it's you know, we we certainly uh, value the opinions of all of our uh, listeners and readers. And uh, you all spoke, and you know, Griffin ultimately got that win. So you know, certainly, uh, congratulations to you, Griffin. And if you missed last week's draft. Uh, be sure to listen to last week's episode or go to 11warriors.com and check that all out there. It was a fun exercise we did to uh, identify who, you know, the most important players on this year's team are. And I think, you know, I saw a lot of the comments on the website. You know, a lot of people were saying, well, man, the thing that really sticks out to me is just how much depth this team has this year. Because, you know, I think, you know, I think in past years there really were definitely more, in my opinion, instances of where, uh, one team, you know, if, if you got a certain player at a specific position, you really had a clear advantage over the other team. I don't think there was as much of that this year. And I think that speaks to, uh, the, the quality of, of a two deep roster that I think Ohio state has built going into this season.
1: Yeah. Dan, the defense, especially, I feel like kind of, you know, a couple years ago, it was a, a really young group and an untested group, but I feel like this year there's a lot of pieces coming back that, have kind of already proven themselves to some extent and I think that kind of you know showed itself in the team draft and and you know I got a lot of the potential reserves I think on defense in a lot of uh, areas but even those guys I think people are pretty high on so uh, you know I think people can definitely be excited for that for sure obviously there's some areas a little less depth Dan such as you know offensive line and things like that but you know there's always a chance that when people look back at those results at the end of next season, that they might have voted differently. And Dan, the the season is approaching quickly here. We are just, uh, you know, a week away from big 10 media days uh, in Indianapolis. We will be there to cover all of the action as the football season, you know, is not too far away.
0: Yeah. We're uh, six, six weeks away now. You think, you know, fall camp's going to start in about two weeks from now. don't have an exact date, but anticipate it will be the first week of August. And so, uh, we're definitely getting into it now. You know, it feels like you know the off season is uh, starting to come to a close, and I feel like you know Big Ten Media Days, at least for us, it always kind of feels like that marker, right? It's kind of that marker of the off season starting to end and the ramp up to football season beginning. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, Big Ten Media Days is not the most important event in the world, but I think it, I think it has that significance in terms of the calendar, in terms of you know, I think. They used to have they used to call it like the Big Ten kickoff or whatever, they had like the kickoff luncheon. Like it kind of signifies like that unofficial kickoff to the preseason. And I think that's why it's an event that naturally uh, for media and fans alike generates a lot of excitement.
1: It is certainly more comes out of the football media days than, let's say, the the, the basketball media days, which I've attended in recent years. But uh, Ohio State sending Marvin Harrison, Jr., Cade Stover and uh, J.T. Tui um, no, no real surprises there, Dan. Um, but I guess out of those three, I would say, you know, Marv for, for being the superstar that he is, Dan, and JT for being the, the potential, you know, first round selection that he could end up being, you know, after this season at Ohio State, both kind of reserved guys, I feel like, which kind of leaves me to, you know, think that Cade Stover might be the most interesting guy to talk to because, uh, you know, sometimes he'll, he'll throw out some interesting anecdotes, some some funny anecdotes. Uh, get kind of real and serious with us as, as media members. So that's kind of who I'm most interested in hearing from, from just a pure intrigue level, but I'm sure there'll be, you know, a much bigger media presence, especially with Marv, uh, but JT as well.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think, you know, out of those three guys, Kate is the most inclined to be colorful in interviews. And so I I do think that, you know, I won't be surprised that, you know, like you said, I mean, Marv is without a doubt going to be the star attraction. And Marv's the guy, if you're Ohio State, you have to bring Marv. If you don't bring Marv, everyone's going to go, where's Marv? Because he's clearly the biggest star of the Ohio State football team going into the 2023 season. Uh, you know, he, he's the face of a franchise right now. And so, uh, to bring him was a no brainer, uh, not surprised at all that JT was the representative on defense. I mean, if Tommy Eichenberg liked to talk to the media, he probably would have been the guy as a returning captain. But I, I, I know that, uh, I was talking to Jerry Emig, Ohio state's, uh, communications director a few weeks ago. And, and he was talking about, uh, trying to, trying to convince Tommy to go to big 10 media days. But Tommy was, uh not interested. So uh, I'm sure we'll we'll hear from Tommy at some point in August, I'm sure during interviews, but uh, I, I don't think there are many things that Tommy Eichenberg would enjoy less than a whole day of media obligations. And so I think JT, a very sensible selection for that. I mean, I think he's a guy that certainly has a chance to be the biggest star of the defense this year and somebody who always does a good job uh, with the media and handling those obligations representing Ohio State in a professional manner. But like you said, I don't really expect any super juicy quotes out of Marvin or JT in that setting because neither of them is the type to really do that. I mean, they're both the type that, you know, uh, uh, tend to uh, be more reserved in what they say and, and more cautious in what they say. So I, I don't really expect any super juicy quotes from Iverbeam. But it does make sense for both of them to be there because they certainly are going to be two of, if not the two biggest faces of Ohio State football this season.
1: Yeah, also feels like, you know, we've heard about JT's kind of leadership ability and whatnot from the coaching staff and players in in previous years and some of the, the speeches he delivered in in trying times for the Buckeyes. But it also kind of feels like him getting this nod kind of. You know, shows that they're they're tabbing him as, you know, you step up this year. Like, it, it's your year to shine. You know, this is your defense t- kind of thing. And, you know, I would have loved to hear the the back and forth between Jerry and uh, old Tommy Eikenberg about going to that. But, you know, this has probably been a great time for him, Dan, because, you know, with the injury and everything in the spring, he didn't have to have didn't have to do any interviews at all. And uh, we haven't heard from him in quite a while. Yeah. Are we sure Tommy was really injured or was he just trying to avoid us all spring?
0: That's very possible, Dan. Not to get too far down the road of conspiracy theories, obviously. Tommy did have his thumb injuries during the season, so I'm sure there was a very legitimate reason for him not to uh, participate in spring practices. But certainly, he is expected to be back on the field in full go once camp starts in a couple of weeks. Speaking of guys we haven't talked to in a long time, we, we haven't talked to Ryan Day since the spring game. And so, uh, that certainly brings more intrigue into talking to ryan day at this event because it's been it's good it, it's been three months now since we've talked to ryan day so that means there's plenty to catch up on on one hand in terms of you know anything that's happened over the last three months or it be you know post spring transfer editions you know summer workouts you know stuff like you know joe philman joining the staff you know even just you know different Topics that have been discussed in college football over the last few months—you know, all that stuff—we haven't had a chance to talk to Ryan Day in the last few months, and so uh, that certainly, you know, makes it more interesting. But you know, we'll be finally having a media gathering with him again next week. But on the other hand. It's not like there's really been a ton that's happened this summer for Ohio State. And and that's a good thing. If you're an Ohio State fan, like it's a good thing. It's maybe not for us, but it is it is for if you're a fan or if you're a member of a team. It's been a pretty quiet and uneventful summer for Ohio State. You know, we saw some of that transfer movement in May and stuff like that, but the past couple months there haven't been a whole lot of headlines coming out of the Ohio State football program. And that's a good thing because typically when there's headlines this time of year, it means that something bad has happened or something distracting from actual football has happened. Whereas, you know, it, it, everything's been pretty buttoned up for Ohio State, you know, going into this preseason as Ohio State gets ready uh, to to start its 2020, 2023 campaign.
1: Yeah, Dan, one big thing that we haven't heard directly in like, you know, f- from day to us, uh, is his kind of re- direct reaction to the the Big 10 new scheduling format and individual structure and everything like that. Obviously, we had, you know, asked him about those things for quite a while because we kind of saw them coming and everything and he's done, you know, interviews of the likes of, you know, Joel Klatt and people like that and kind of made his thoughts be known about all that stuff at playoff expansion as well. Uh, but we haven't exactly talked to him directly, Dan, since that happened. Uh, not that I necessarily expect him to you know, reinvent the wheel or anything in terms of his reaction or thoughts to that stuff, but I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions about those things, uh, given that you know it's 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 a big new change for the Big Ten going into this media days session.
0: Yeah, and that's certainly going to be one of the big topics uh, to start media days when Tony Patiti uh, takes the stand for his first uh, commissioner's address at. Uh, Big Ten Media Days, and my biggest question for Tony Petitti is: Will he break the record for longest filibuster <laughs> set by Kevin Warren?
1: No, I, I don't think that's possible, Dan. I mean, Warren put that one out there quite a ways. It might be a you know a long that, that might be a record that's that's never broken. You know, some some Wilt Chamberlain uh, record right there.
0: Yeah, ho- hopefully Tony Petiti will not put us to sleep the same way that Kevin Warren did. I, I don't think he will. He, from what I, I, he hasn't done a ton of interviews since. Uh, he's become big 10 commissioner, but in a couple I've seen, uh, you know, he, he does seem to have, you know, a more engaging personality, you know, a little bit more human, like in, in his talk with, you know, if Kevin Warren, it, it kind of felt like it was always just like one big talking point. Uh, so, you know, I kind of hope that it's a little bit more, uh, you know, human interaction, you know, we'll see if, you know, this is the year I finally get called on to ask the commissioner a question. Cause uh, typically i raise my hand and i just i just don't get called on during that but so we'll we'll see but uh you know definitely going to be interesting to hear from him for the first time you know like you you talked about certainly uh the whole you know scheduling model is going to be discussed you know, i don't i don't imagine he's going to get too deep in the weeds in terms of talking about you know what happened to kevin warren and having to you know sew that tv deal back up i don't imagine he's going to get too deep in the weeds of that, but it's always interesting to hear, you know, what the commissioner has to say at this event. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be more questions about playoff expansion and, you know, Big 10 expansion obviously when, you know, Gene Smith was on with us in June, he said that the Big 10 has, you know, kind of taken a pause on that for this year in terms of further expansion as they prepare to integrate USC and UCLA into the conference. So, I would expect a similar stance from Tony Petiti, but you never know.
1: Yeah, Dan, I know. In, in Petiti's Patiti's introductory press conference uh, with the Big Ten, he obviously mentioned UC, USC and UCLA, and, and integrating those two teams into the Big Ten was, you know, perhaps his top priority. But you know, also funny to look back on that introductory press conference. Uh, you know, at, juxtaposed to the news that came out shortly thereafter about the the Big Ten media deal and everything. Just because you know, Patiti was kind of asked, like, well, oh, it seems like Kevin Warren's kind of like put a bow on everything, all the biggest issues that the Big Ten was kind of facing. And, you know, I guess, what do you kind of do? And then he was, he basically responded, oh, d- don't don't speak too soon because there, there's still plenty to be worked out with the media deal. Uh, and then, then we've, we found out shortly thereafter more of the details about that. But Dan, I'm also sure more NIL talk as well. I know uh, SEC Commissioner Greg Sink, he was talking about, you know, wanting federal legislation. I mean, that's pretty much a, a universal kind of universally held position, it seems, Dan, between, you know, Gene Smith a lot of powerful people in the sport. So I'm sure we'll get some uh, questions and and answers about that from Petiti as well.
0: Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting because it kind of feels to me like, NIL, uh, I, I feel like we're starting to get to that point now, like two years in of where like, okay, NIL feels more normalized now. Like I feel like, you know, two years ago, it was like the big topic, like NIL. And I feel like last year, it was still kind of that undercurrent. I think you're right. Like it, it will come up and, you know, he'll, I, he'll probably take a similar stance as Gene Smith and others have that, you know, federal legislation is needed. But I also feel like, you know, maybe the media interest in that story is not quite what it was for the last couple of years. I, I would guess that, you know, from Ohio state fans perspective, I think, especially now that, you know, Ohio state seems to have buttoned up its NIL efforts and seems to be in a, a better place there, but it's not quite as much of a talking point as it was a year or two ago.
1: Yeah. I feel, I feel that as well, Dan. And how about some some new coaches at Big Ten Media Days. And particularly for, for our purposes, Dan, Luke Fickle, obviously him returning to the Big Ten as the head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers, uh, that'll be a really interesting one uh, to potentially get some some quotes from there uh, in, in, the, in the line of questioning that he will likely receive. You know, obviously, Ohio State fans you are know, s- still getting questions, you know, when we do our, our weekly beat chats and stuff like that. It's like, how inevitable is it that that Fickle will eventually become Ohio State's you know, head coach in the future uh, and stuff like that. So, so everything with him is going to be, you know, fascinating. Matt Rule with Nebraska as well. Ryan Walters uh, with Purdue, David Brondan with Northwestern, who is going to have a uh, quite a time, I would imagine at Big Ten Media Days, given all of the recent controversy.
0: Yeah. I mean, Northwestern, the amount of attention that's going to be paid to Northwestern at Big Ten Media Days has certainly skyrocketed in the last couple of weeks. I think they would have been one of the least talked about programs at Big Ten Media Days going uh, you know, into a couple weeks ago before the, the Pat Fitzgerald stuff blew up. Now they, they're they going to be right up there if Ohio State and Michigan is a most talked about uh, program at, at Big Ten Media Days and uh, certainly even most attention Northwestern has gotten at Big Ten Media Days in a long time. I mean, even, even back when Media Days were in Chicago and they were the local team, you didn't see a whole lot of attention around Northwestern because it's just not – There's just not a huge media presence around Northwestern. You know, in Chicago, you know, you got the Bears and the Bulls and the Cubs and the White Sox and the Blackhawks. Northwestern's just not that big a thing in Chicago. And so even when it was in Chicago, you didn't see that much attention on Northwestern. But I think certainly, especially from a national and regional media perspective, there's going to be a lot of attention put on Northwestern at Big Ten Media Days next week, given the recency of the scandal that's happened there and the many. Uh, moving parts that remain in place there in Evanston. I think if we we swing it back to Ohio state, I I don't think there's any question what the national media storyline surrounding Ohio state will be next week. And that's going to be, can the Buckeyes end their losing streak against Michigan? And, you know, you think, you know, a few years ago, I remember, you know, what was I asking Jim Harbaugh? What was I asking Michigan players? It's, are you guys ever going to beat Ohio state like that a few years ago, that was the storyline of big 10 media is big 10 media days is when is Michigan going to beat Ohio state again? And now those tables have turned where, you know, Ohio state has lost two games in a row against Michigan. It hasn't beaten Michigan since 2019. And so uh, certainly there's going to be a lot of questions about that. You know, how much more can, you know, Ryan day and his players say about that? I don't know, but, the questions are certainly going to be asked and it's certainly going to be interesting to hear what they have to say.
1: Yeah, Dan, we've, we've certainly seen that, you know, on the Michigan side of things they, they haven't uh, been afraid to kind of throw out some, some buzzworthy quotes and, and things of that nature the past couple of years here. Obviously we've uh, always write about those on the site at 11 warriors, but I'm wondering this year kind of how that mentality will be because, you know, you mentioned a couple of years ago, like with Ohio state, you reach a certain point, in the rivalry with all those wins back to back to back, uh, where, you know, it kind of seems, you know, maybe not, not, not so graceful to to kind of take shots at your arch rival when you're, you're beating them every year, uh, for Michigan though, it's still so fresh, you know, they're, they're on the cusp of of turning things around in the rivalry that, you know, just in a couple of years here. So, you know, th- those wins are, are still feeling like super special for them. And, uh, you know, players like Blake Corham, Chris Jenkins, that are going to be there for Michigan, uh, we'll see what they have to say. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, they'll, they'll be asked about the flag plant from last year, you know, uh, things of that nature, too, Dan. So um, I'm expecting us to get, uh, you know, hopefully something something fun out of all of that. Yeah. Mike sain
0: cornerback from Michigan, who actually did the flag plant in Ohio Stadium, is going to be one of their free players in attendance. So uh, certainly interested to hear what he has to say about that.
1: Yeah, we can pencil that one in for for some kind of post Dan, that I'm sure will get people fired up. But but Dan, any other players, maybe non-Michigan um, that that you're excited to to kind of talk to that are going to be present? Obviously, a Big Ten Media Days for other programs.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you know certainly Penn State is another interesting program going into this year. I mean, I think I think they have their best chance in several years this year to contend with Ohio State in Michigan at the top of the Big Ten East. And Olu Fashanu in particular, he's a projected top 10 NFL draft pick. Their starting left tackle surprised a lot of people by not entering the draft last year and returning to school. You know, he's a guy who was recruited some by Ohio State out of high school. So certainly interested in talking to him and kind of hearing, you know, both, you know, I, you know, I've typically at media days every year, I've talked to a lot of players who were recruited by Ohio State to kind of talk to them about, you know, that and what it's now been like playing against Ohio state. So I plan on doing that again. And, and he's probably at the top of the list uh, of guys that I'm interested to talk to about that because, you know, he has become such an elite player at Penn state. And boy, I mean, you think Ohio state could sure use him right now. I mean, if if they had gotten him, they, they'd probably be in a different position at offensive tackle right now. So uh, he's certainly somebody who stands out. You know, I mean, I think, you know, somebody who's going to get a lot of attention from Columbus media is Luke Lachey, of course, being the son of Ohio State great Jim Lachey uh you know of course you know him being from Columbus you know he's certainly a guy who fits in that category as uh guys who were recruited by Ohio State though in his case he wasn't offered by Ohio State and we kind of wrote the story last year when he uh when he came back uh to Columbus last year and Iowa played Ohio State you know I know we we wrote a story about it a lot of Columbus media a short story about it, so I don't know how much I'm really interested in rehashing that story. But you know, he's certainly somebody who's going to get uh, some attention from you know Ohio State media. You uh, know, I, I, one name that jumped out to me when I was looking at the list was Talia Loa, because this is the third year in a row that he is going to be at Big Ten Media Days uh, representing Maryland. I I can't remember the last time a player was at Big Ten Media Days three years in a row, you know, Ohio state, they typically do it where if a guy's already been, they, they won't bring him again the next year to give somebody else an opportunity. And we've definitely seen guys uh, do it two years in a row, but three years in a row is rare. And, you know, some of that speaks to, you know, the extra year of eligibility college ball players have, I mean, it's certainly logical for him to be there because he is the face of their team. Uh, but it was still a little bit striking to me, like, Oh, wow, he's going to be there again when he's all because i was i was looking through the guys for that story i usually write because he was recruited a little bit by ryan day in ohio state and it's like oh yeah like i wrote that one two years ago so <laughs> i don't need to do it i don't need to do it again but uh yeah he's he's he might be setting a record for most big 10 media days appearances i'm not sure if there is an official record for that but he, he's got to be up there now with three in a row and then you know braylon allen i think is certainly another guy that's going to get a lot of attention at at big 10 media days. And, you know, I typically do my, uh, preseason, all big 10 team before big 10 media days. So I'll do that over the next week. And I think certainly when I do that, one of the toughest. Positions to pick is going to be running back because I mean, you just look at the big 10 it's loaded at running back going into this season. You know, you got Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, of course, at Michigan, you got Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams, of course, at Ohio state, you've got, Nick Singleton and Catron Allen at Penn State. You've got Braylon Allen at Wisconsin, who I think I had on the team last year and maybe didn't have quite the everyone expected last year, but is still one of the best running backs in the country. And so, you know, you, you look at the, the Big Ten Conference, it certainly does not lack in running back talent. And a, a couple of those top running backs will be there in Indianapolis in Blake Corum and Braylon Allen.
1: Dan, back on the Ohio State side of things, obviously with with those three guys that the Buckeyes tabbed to represent them in Indianapolis, uh, you kind of wrote a a piece about potential captains for Ohio State this season. You would think, you know, not always is the case, Dan. Necessarily that that the Big Ten Media Days representatives are captains, uh, but you know, you you would certainly think those three guys are going to be three of them for Ohio State. I know this past year, Dan, Ohio State had a couple uh, less captains than they had had uh, in some of the previous years. I think they had. Six this past year, Dan, and uh, yeah. we they'd had, did they have as many as 10 one, one year recently? They had was it- nine in, in one
0: of urban's last years. Uh, they've had six, I believe they've had six for the last two years before that they had had seven for several years in a row. And so the sweet spot has kind of been in that six to seven range.
1: And yeah, returning captains from last year, Stover among them, obviously Eichenberg, we talked about, you know, probably would have been in Indianapolis if not for his uh, lack of desire to to, to speak words to other humans. Uh, Court Williams as well, Dan, that's an interesting one Uh, we were discussing kind of in in slack uh, that he's kind of fallen off the the face of the earth over the the past year because we didn't get to see him play a whole lot, obviously had a lot of injury issues, always been uh, lauded for his leadership abilities, uh, but you kind of wonder if that's a guy that's going to continue being a captain after you know being named one last season
0: yeah i mean we talked about last week he's one of those guys we hope we get a chance to talk to during fall camp because we just haven't talked to him in a long time because he was injured most of last season was out all spring and you know i think obviously first and foremost it's important to clarify that that does not preclude him from being a captain again this year i mean we saw obviously with cam bab the last two years where you know even though he was injured he was a captain both years i mean we've seen it I think even increasingly, honestly, in recent years, you know, whether it be you know a Tyler Friday last season, you know, a CJ Saunders a few years ago, we, we've seen more examples of guys that are not necessarily you know key players, or they've had some kind of adversity they've had to deal with, but they've still been named captains because of a the respect they have from their teammates and coaches. And I, I know Cord is one of those guys who certainly has that. But you know, when I start thinking about the possible captains for this year, you know, I, I do wonder, cause I know I've heard it from some fans over the years that like, should Ohio state should more or all of those captains be guys who really are playing big roles on the field. And you know, I, I don't think there's a one size fits all answer there, but I do wonder when I look at the list of potential captains this year, and I think like, I think we'd both agree. Like, Stover, Tommy Eikenberg, those guys are both going to be captains again. Marv is going to be a captain. Like typically the best player on the team is a captain. And you just think of all the stories we've heard about Marv's legendary work ethic. I'd be shocked if he's not a captain. I, I, I anticipate JT will be a captain as well. Now, it's, a, it's not a guarantee that going to Big Ten media days means you'll be a captain. You know, like we saw last year Ronnie Hickman went. He was not a captain you know, I know, you know, Draymond Jones went a few years ago, he wasn't a captain. I mean, it, it does signify that you're going to be a leader. It does signify that you're someone who Ohio state wants to have representing your program publicly. So, you know, we should also clarify that, that when we talk about who may or may not be a captain, Ohio state wants to have more leaders than it has captains. I know, you know, they have a leadership council that has like 24 guys on it. So, they expect more than just their captains to be leaders. And so, you know, a JT to a Molo could be a leader without being a captain. But I, if I were to guess right now, I'd feel pretty good about him being a captain. I, would I would give him the fourth best odds of being a captain. And then, you know, then I think, okay, if, if you think, you know, okay, they've had six the last couple of years. So that's probably about where they'll be targeting. You know, you have quite a few names that, could potentially be in line for those last couple spots, Court Williams being one of them. But I I think if I have to pick two to round it out, I I would start with Xavier Johnson because he just seems to check all those boxes to be a captain. You know, I mean, somewhat along the lines of a CJ Saunders where he started his Ohio State career as a walk-on and then has developed into somebody who's a really valued player on the team. You know, I think in the lines of Cam Babb as well, you know, Cam's a guy who is known for being a very, you know, spiritual leader of the team and and somebody who, you know, just really earned the respect of his teammates and coaches, even when he wasn't playing. And I think that's been very much true of, of Xavier Johnson as well. And then... You know, Xavier is a guy who's going to play this year too. I mean, we saw it last year. This is a guy, when everybody called upon him, he made plays. And I think he's going to play a significant role in the offense this year. So much so that I allowed Griffin to draft Mayan Williams last week by taking Xavier Johnson <laughs> over him in the draft, which may have backfired on me there. But I think that speaks to my respect for Xavier Johnson. And I think that respect is very widespread through the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. So he's a guy that I I would anticipate being a captain this year. I and mean, then I know a guy that y- you think will be a captain too, that I would agree with is Donovan Jackson, because, you know, Ohio State, you know, offensive line is a position where Ohio State has frequently had captains. Didn't have one last year, but in most years, Ohio State has had a captain on the offensive line. And, you know, that's a position group where I think leadership is going to be really important with Ohio State breaking in three new, inexperienced starters there. And, and based on what we heard this spring, it sounds like Donovan is a guy who would really embrace that role.
1: Yeah, he talked extensively about, you know, conversations with Justin Fry, you know, Justin Fry pulling him aside and, and telling him, you know, he's got to be a leader for this group this year. Set an example for these guys that are going to step in and compete for these starting jobs for the first time this year. And a lot of the, his teammates as well this spring were, were saying that he's just done an amazing job as a vocal leader for that unit. Uh, whether it's a, you know, tackles tackle or center, like uh, he's helping all of those guys out and helping those guys learn the ropes. Uh, And then when you just think like on that offensive line, who, who would be the leader with that group? Because, you know, the other guy that's returning as a starter is Matt Jones, who, you know, great player and everything like that, but, you know, certainly a more of a subdued kind of guy, maybe less of a a vocal leader for that group. Um, So I'm definitely high on Donovan Jackson's prospects of being a captain without a doubt, uh, but there's other guys too, Dan, that, that you may consider as well, because there are a lot of returning starters for this group. And you think about a guy like Amecha Ibuka. You know, could, is it possible Ohio State could have three wide receivers as captains? Probably unlikely, Dan. But you know, that's another guy that right up there with Marv is kind of looked at as one of the the foremost returning stars on that. You know, obviously prolific Ohio State offense. Um, you know, could could a quarterback as well, Dan, possibly get a get a nod? Uh, you know, maybe less likely because. You know, those two guys are embroiled in that position battle there to replace CJ Stroud. Uh, Steel Chambers and Lathan Ransom as well are two guys coming back on that defense who had stellar years for the most part as starters defensively um, as well. Any of those guys that you think, you know, are are going to be captains more likely uh, than not or probably on the outside looking in?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I gave my six. And so, you know, like I said, I mean, if I, you know, if I was narrowing it down to six, I'd go with Cade Stover, Tommy Eichenberg, Marvin Harrison Jr., JT Tuamoloau, Xavier Johnson, and Donovan Jackson. Uh, I don't rule out the possibility that Ohio State could have three captains at wide receiver because it did happen once before in recent history with uh, Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, and Johnny Dixon. And so uh, it, it it is possible that, you know, if there, it could have three captains at one position i don't necessarily predict that but i uh, i think those three guys in particular have all made a strong case for that you know Mecca's another guy who's known as a really hard worker and a really mature guy who has a ton of respect of everybody in the Woody, and so it wouldn't shock me at all if he was a captain you know i mean i think you know it's it's probably unlikely that kyle mccord will be a captain but i don't rule it out because He is a junior now at Ohio state. I think he has shown some leadership qualities at Ohio state, you know, even when he's been the backup now, like you said, because he's not even the established starter yet, you know, it's, it's not common for a quarterback who hasn't been the starter before to be a captain. But, you know, I think between the two, like I wouldn't expect Devin Brown to be a captain because typically Ohio state captains have been third year players or higher. So it's, it's very uncommon for, I actually don't know the last time if it's even ever happened where a second year player has been a captain. I know, you know, like I know Ryan day said that like Justin Fields could have been a captain in his first year, but he wasn't a captain. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, it's less likely that anybody who's not a, third year or above is going to be named a captain. But I, you know, especially if McCord, you know, makes a move early in camp and really does establish himself at that starter. I don't rule out the possibility of him being captain. I think regardless, whoever that starting quarterback is, that goes back to what we were talking about before of just because you're not a captain doesn't mean you're not a leader. The starting quarterback has to be a leader. So I don't necessarily expect there to be a quarterback captain, but that doesn't lessen the importance for whoever that starting quarterback is to step in and be a leader right away.
1: Dan, how about the block O jersey? Uh, obviously it made perfect sense and lined up well for for Cam Vab last season. Uh this year, perhaps a, a few candidates that would make sense. Uh when I was looking at this, you know, but before we started a roll in here on the podcast. I was thinking Cade Stover would make perfect sense because you know Ohio guy, blue collar guy, kind of represents everything uh, that Ohio State you know wants to be and everything like that. But I think another guy that makes sense uh, based on everything you said a couple minutes ago is, is Xavier Johnson.
0: Yeah, I I think Xavier has been a very popular pick uh, that I've seen from from fans, and I think it would make a lot of sense. I I do wonder. I know that uh, the ten. 10- his number i know the reason he picked that is because it's the letter x in roman numeral so i don't know if there's a branding thing there like i remember thinking about like chris olave a couple years ago i'm like what he we want to change his number like does he like the number he has i don't know if that's a conversation that gets had when they decide on this but like he's a guy that he has a number maybe like for branding purposes he'd he'd want to keep that number but i do think based on everything it it represents you know, somebody who has, you know, overcome adversity and who has, you know, done things the right way in their Ohio State career. I think he's certainly a guy who would would fit all the criteria uh for that award. Um, you know, I agree with you. I think that, you know, Cade Stover is another guy that would make a lot of sense. I mean, Court Williams could be a guy that could potentially make sense. You just think of all the stuff he he's he's had to go through. I mean Tommy Eichenberg's a guy that I think could uh, you know, certainly makes sense. You think about that, you know, fight criteria of it is very big on that when Ryan Day talks about it. I mean, this is a guy who was playing with two broken thumbs last year. So, uh, you know, I think any one of those guys could be a logical candidate. But for me, if I was gonna say, who would I give the jersey to? Who would I pick? I would give it to Avery Henry. When you think about what he's oh, had yeah. to overcome this off season, having, having to battle cancer, that would be the first guy that would come to my mind is who would really embody that fight spirit that they want that block. O Jersey to go to, they have in the past typically given it to captains, typically given it to guys who are seniors. So I don't know if maybe they would want to reserve that for later in his career, but he'd be the guy that, that I would kind of look at and go, he he would really embody that, that fight spirit that they're talking about.
1: Yeah, Dan, that, that one slipped my mind there, but that, Definitely makes perfect sense. That would be an awesome story as well if Ohio State was to bestow Avery Henry with that Block O jersey. Uh, but Dan, we talked about one of the you know surefire captains for Ohio State this season, Marvin Harrison Jr., the biggest name on the team. And Dan, he actually turned up on you know the, the recent series that that you and Matt Goodrich have been doing for Eleven Warriors, the Four Kings series, where you guys uh, you know field votes from the Eleven Warriors fans and voters on, in, the, in the forums there uh, to decide kind of the Mount Rushmore at each position for the Buckeyes. And r- a recent one that you guys did was at wide receiver where Marvin Harrison Jr. made the cut as one of the top four wide receivers at Ohio State. Perhaps that turned some heads down because, you know, he's only had one se- one real season as a starter. Uh, the other three there, though, Chris Carter, David Boston and Chris Olave. Uh, certainly, you know, I, I don't have too many qualms with that list, but you know, I'm, I'm certainly maybe some older fans might argue with a couple of the the young guns, the, the recent guys making the cut.
0: Yeah, not only did Marv make the cut, he finished second in the voting. So it wasn't even like it was close and he barely made it like he safely made the top four at wide receiver behind only Chris Carter, who received uh, the most votes by far and you know i think certainly i mean that that speaks to just how spectacular marv was last year and and i actually it's interesting because i thought going into this like this is the hardest one to pick because there's just been so many great wide receivers you know whether it be recent stars like jackson swift and jigba and garrett wilson or guys like yeah, Ted Ginn Jr., Terry Glenn, Joey Galloway, you know Michael Jenkins. I mean, there's been there's been so many great players at that position over the past three or four decades that to narrow it down to just four was really tough. And yet, I ended up with the same exact top four as our readers as I uh, I I thought. You know, Chris Carter was a you know a sure thing. I mean, I think he's still the guy. You know, even, you know, almost 40 years later, I think he's still kind of viewed as like the guy who set the standard in that room for all the receivers who came after him. And David Boston, if you just look at what he did over his three years at Ohio State, no Buckeye receiver has ever had a better three years than he did. You know, some of his records have now been broken, but like KJ Hill broke his receiving receptions record in four years. Chris Olave broke his touchdowns record in Four years, you know. Michael Jenkins broke his yards record in four years. If you look at a three-year span, no Ohio State receiver has ever been better over a three-year span than David Boston. And so, I I had David Boston as my second choice. I thought he was a clear-cut choice as well. Uh, Chris Olave, I mean, to me, I just think of all the the clutch plays in his career. You know, I just think of all the times. You know, starting, of course, with that legendary performance against Michigan as a freshman. Uh, but he just stepped up and rose to the occasion when Ohio State needed him most. I think that, you know, along with that four years of productivity is what really elevated him in my eyes and made him one of those top four all time greats. You know, Marv, I, I personally wrestled with Marv a little bit because he has only been a starter for one year. And I think some of this, and I, even when my own, pick some of this is projecting what we think he will do this year because if marv goes out and has a similar or better year this year than he did last year i mean there's not only going to be clearly he's one of ohio state's four best receivers here like he's going to be ohio state's best receiver ever if he has the year this year that we think he can have so like there could be no doubt that he belongs on this list a year from now and i think that you know, to me was one reason why I put him in my top four. But I I will say that I, 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 when I looked at the final voting results for Marv to be second in the voting and Jackson Smith and Jigba to be 11th, that doesn't really add up to me because Jackson and Jigba broke, you know, this single season receptions and yards record. I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of splitting hairs if you want to argue whether Marv or JSN had the better season. You know, I think you put both of them and Terry Glenn kind of in a conversation for the three best single seasons by an Ohio State receiver ever. But for me, Jackson would have been my fifth vote at, at wide receiver. And, you know, I, I think Jackson certainly got dinged from Ohio State fans because of what happened last year with him not playing much last year. But I think if we did this voting a year ago, there's a good chance Jackson and Jigba would have been that guy in the top four because Marv obviously wouldn't have been there yet. And I, I honestly I honestly think if we did it in a few years that he'd probably be higher up on the list, too. Once he's played in the NFL and made some plays in the NFL, uh, you know, some of that, you know, maybe sore feelings about how last year went probably uh, would have dissipated because, you know, we'll, we'll get into the defensive ends next which was the position we did before wide receivers. And Nick Bosa made the top four. And that was basically kind of the same thing as what happened with Jackson Smith and Jigba, although I would argue that Jackson Smith and Jigba would actually be far more deserving of a spot on four kings than Nick Bosa because Jackson Smith and Jigba broke single season records in his one healthy season uh, at Ohio State. And so uh, I have no disagreement at all with the top four. I think the top four receivers that were chosen were all completely deserving, but I was surprised by just the lack of voting support that Jackson Swift, and Jigba received.
1: Same here, Dan, I had to check the list again. And I was like, I I, for, I thought he fin- maybe finished 10th or something. I was like, Oh wow. He didn't even finish in the top 10. And while there are a lot of sensational names on that list, of course, Ohio state legends uh, littered up and down on that list. I mean, you could argue that he had a better season th- than than Marv when you look at their two, their two big years there and you kind of wonder, you know, what if in a hypothetical situation Marv had decided to like sit out th- this year, right? And go straight to the draft because, you know, he's considered maybe a, a top two pick uh, in next year's draft. Like how would that have influenced Ohio State fans voting? Uh, I think you know, maybe he would not have made the list if that were the case because fans would be a little bit embittered. Uh, and I think there was definitely some of that with JSN, although, you know, he certainly tried to to get back on the field for Ohio State this past season. Uh, You know, maybe some fans felt that he could have played towards the end of the season there, but from from everything we heard from the coaches and, and his teammates, he certainly gave it uh, a go there, Dan. Uh, but yeah, another another name is, is Ted Ginn, of course. Uh, you know, that was the, the 2006 season, Dan, for me was the the year that, that I really got into, you know, really sports in general and watched that that Ohio State season, obviously the Troy Smith Heisman Trophy winning season, Ted Ginn re- returning the, you know, uh, opening kickoff in the national championship game for a touchdown, uh, although things didn't go well for the Buckeyes after that. That was certainly, you know, that's that's a guy that, that stands the test of time since then as a beloved wide receiver. He finished, I think, fifth, correct, Dan? Yep. yep in the voting. Yeah, so that's... Voting, yep. That's another guy you could definitely consider uh, as well. Uh, but moving on, Dan, to defensive end, a, a list that you just mentioned there a minute ago, uh, the the four heads on that Mount Rushmore ended up being Chase Young, Joey Bosa, and Nick Bosa, as well as Mike Vrabel, um, with with Chase Young and Joey Bosa both getting uh, appearing on 90% of ballot stand. And, and certainly, I don't think you could necessarily argue with either of those guys.
0: No, I I think they were both, in my mind, clear-cut choices. I mean, we talk about single-season greatness. I mean, Chase Young's uh, 2019 season may be the best that we've ever seen uh, from an Ohio State defensive player in a single season. I mean, he was just so dominant that year that I think that cemented his place on this list. Uh, Joey Bosa, I mean, he was really a beast for three years. I mean, from his freshman year to his junior year, I mean, he was a dominant player for three years in a row. And so I thought he was an easy choice. I uh, think Mike Vrabel as well. I mean, he's uh, Ohio State's all-time sacks and tackle for loss leader. Uh, I, I thought he was an easy choice as well. I thought that that fourth choice was the interesting one because, you know, I I, I think that, you know, I, I think when when we devised this exercise, we were really focused on it. On what they accomplished during their Ohio State careers and kind of keeping that the focus, but I think you know, but we 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 didn't really spell out specific criteria either because we wanted people to have the freedom to vote the way they they saw fit, and I think we've seen it some where I think NFL careers have maybe influenced the voting a little bit more than we expected, and I have to think that's the case with Nick Bosa because. I, I mean, if you're talking the four most talented defensive ends Ohio State has ever had, I certainly think Nick is on that list. And so I don't totally have a qualm with him being on the list, but, you know, you, I mean, I think if you just look at his career accomplishments, uh, does he really make the top four based on his career accomplishments? I, I would argue, no. I mean, I would look at a guy like a Will Smith who won a national championship, was the big 10 player of the year. Uh, you know, a first team All-American. Now, Nick Bosa was a first team All-American too, but, you know, even in that one year uh, that he was an All-American, I mean, he had eight and a half sacks. He's a really good player, but he was also kind of a co-starter that one year, but you know, because Sam Hubbard, uh, Taequann Lewis, and Jalen Holmes were all there. And so I, I just look at Nick Bosa and I feel like, you know, when I think of Nick Bosa's career, it's kind of like with Jackson Smith and Jigba of, you know, a, a, what could have been. And I think that dichotomy is interesting too, where Jackson's if and Jigba didn't even come close to making it at wide receiver yet. Nick Bosa made the top four. And that's what makes me wonder, okay, if we did this in a few years from now, if Jackson's become a star in the NFL, how much more credit would he maybe get then than he's getting right now? Because I suspect if we had done this right after Nick Bosa's last year, he would not have made the top four because I think at the time more so than with Jackson's have been I think there was this feeling that he quit on the team. And I, I don't, again, I, I think like with Jackson, I don't think that's true. I think he had an injury that was going to keep him out all year. And so it made sense for him to go focus on the next level. But, you know, again, I think he's a, he's a guy that it's, it's interesting, but he made this list because if he had stayed healthy that year and he had had the year, that it looked like he was going to have that year, he probably would have been a no brainer for the top four. But He didn't actually have that that year because it got cut short in two and a half games. And so I feel like his inclusion in this top four has more to do with what he could have been at Ohio State and what he became in the NFL rather than what he actually did at Ohio State.
1: Yeah, comparing him with JSN, I mean, JSN did have the season that, you know, could put him in contention for a top four spot, uh, positionally speaking at Ohio State. Nick Bosa, maybe not so much. I mean, yeah, you know, Ohio State would love to have a a defensive end, Dan, uh, this season or or one of the past couple seasons here where a player had eight and a half sacks because the the numbers have not been crazy as far as sacks go for any individual player since Chase Young, really. Uh, 16 tackles for loss that year as well. Obviously, got off to a fantastic start to that 2018 season, but it also felt like there was kind of a more public, you know, shutting, shutting down the season, uh, narrative with a uh, Nick Bosa, Dan, then there even was with JSN, because obviously for most of the year we were kind of wondering and expecting, uh, you know, is, is JSN going to return? Is he going to come back? And that, that decision wasn't really made till uh, pretty late in the process. But if I'm not mistaken, the, the Bosa decision was made a lot earlier on.
0: Yeah. And it was like mid season that he did de- and that he decided to shut it down and was no longer with the team. Whereas, you know, JSN, he tried to come back a couple of times and then just ultimately, you know, wasn't able to get to that point.
1: And and Will Smith, as you mentioned as well, uh, you already listed his his accolades there. He got the most votes outside of the top four. Uh, Dan, moving on to the four kings at guard slash center, uh, where Nick Mangold, uh, Jim Lachey, uh, Jim Parker and Charles Bentley were the four there. And, And that seems to be you know a very clear cut answer there with all four of those guys on at least 70 percent of the ballots
0: yeah the next highest number of of votes was pat elfline in fifth place and he was only on 22.4 percent of ballots so there was definitely a clear uh top four in the readers minds here now i think that that being said i think there's other interior offensive linemen who certainly deserved more c- credit in the voting. I I look at Billy Price. He's a guy who, you know, he was a four-year starter for Ohio State. I think he broke the record for uh, the most starts at Ohio State. He uh, was uh, the Remington Trophy winner in in his senior year. I mean, if you look at his resume, I I think his resume is very much uh, befitting of a spot in that top four. And I think this is another one where, again, I think the NFL careers definitely influenced the voting because you know, you look at an, an, a and Nick Mangold, I mean Nick Mangold is on my list. I I do not dispute that Nick Mangold, who was actually just announced this past week, will be part of the Ohio State Athletics Hall of Fame class uh, this year. Uh, I mean I think he's very deserving a spot on the list, but when you look at his accolades in his career, you know he was a one time All Big Ten guy. He wasn't. Uh, I think he was an all American once, but you know, he, 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 if you look at his accolades in his career, they're they're not accolades that make you say this guy was Ohio state's best interior offensive lineman ever. But I think when you then look at what he became in the NFL, a, a, a all pro center at that level, that kind of elevated his stock in Ohio state fans minds. And I think the same is true of Jim Lachey where, you know, Jim Lachey, uh, he was a one-year starter at Ohio State. Now, he was a really good one-year starter at Ohio State. He was an All-American that season. But he was still only a one-year starter at, at Ohio State. Uh, but then he went on to have a decorated career in the NFL. And I think that certainly elevates him as well as the fact that he's become such a public figure for Ohio State to this day as Ohio State's color commentator on its radio broadcast. So I think things like that you know, kind of elevated him not that he wasn't deserving based on his play, but I think without those other things, he's probably not in the top four. I think those things kind of elevated his prominence in Ohio State fans' minds and led to him getting the number of votes he did. I mean, if you look at the guys at this position, to me, the guy who should have gotten the most votes, the guy who should have been an absolute no-brainer was, was Jim Parker. Uh, Jim Parker was Ohio State's first ever winner of the Outland Trophy. And this is a guy who uh, was a pro Bowl or basically every single year of his NFL career. Uh, he's one of only three Ohio State players who's in both the college football and pro football Hall of Fame, which then again, I'm getting into it now, too, of, you know, the NFL Versus college, but even when you just look at what he did in college, I mean, he was without a doubt one of Ohio State's greatest offensive linemen ever, and so uh, he's the guy who was number one on my list. Uh, I don't have qualms necessarily of any of before who made it there, although you know one other guy who obviously I didn't see him play, but just looking at his resume, I I thought deserved more consideration was Warren Amling because this is a guy he he played. Uh, back in the 1940s, I believe. But not only was he a two time All American and a College Football Hall of Famer for Ohio State, he also started for the Ohio State men's basketball team in the Final Four. And so I believe he's the only College Football Hall of Famer who also played in the Final Four in men's basketball. So obviously times were a little different nat- then. I mean, you're not going to see a guard on a college football team becoming a starter for a, a college basketball team uh, nowadays. But nevertheless, that is quite a resume that he has.
1: Without a doubt, Dan, and up next in the series for Four Kings is the defensive tackle position where uh, as of Tuesday afternoon, the, the, the four leading candidates there are Dan Wilkinson, Jim Stillwagon, Bill Willis and Luke Fickle. Certainly some very historic names there, Dan. Obviously, Bill Willis being the player who the the Block O jersey was uh, kind of named after and everything like that. Uh, are, are those are those your four choices, Dan, or would you like to to maybe uh, tease any differences in your personal voting for this uh, defensive tackle category?
0: Yeah, I think the top three are pretty clear cut here, and uh, I would definitely agree with the top three being Dan Wilkinson, Jim Stillwagon, and Bill Willis. I mean, Dan Wilkinson was so good, but he was the number one overall pick in the draft. Jim Stillwagon is a College Football Hall famer. Bill Willis, who the aforementioned Block O jersey is actually named after, uh, was, you know, he's another guy, one of only three, along with Uh, Orlando Pace and Jim Parker, who's in both the college ball and pro football hall of fame. Uh, Somebody who was really a pioneer as one of the first black players in the NFL and was an all American player at, at Ohio state. And so I I certainly think all three of those guys belong on the list. Uh, Luke fickles, another guy who I would put into that category of, I think maybe he's being elevated a little bit based on what he's accomplished since he was at, since he played for Ohio state, because I mean, this wasn't a guy who was ever an All-American or All-Big Ten defensive tackle. Now, he did have the record, uh, although I think it was eventually broken by uh, the aforementioned Billy Price and Pat Elfline uh, for the most starts for an Ohio State player or most consecutive game appearances for an Ohio State player. And so uh, he did have a very, uh, very successful career, and he's certainly uh, you know a valid choice here. And, and I do think part of it at, at defensive tackle is i think in comparison to some of these other positions we've talked about but the pool of candidates at defensive tackle is not quite as deep i think those first three guys wilkinson Stillwagon, and willis are all clear-cut guys who belong on there but there's not really a fourth guy at defensive tackle but it's like man that guy's got to be on the list personally my fourth vote is going to go to Michael Bennett because, uh, you know, he's a guy, he is the most sacks ever for an Ohio state defensive tackle. You know, he was really productive and disruptive for that 2014 national championship team. And I think, you know, because of that, he elevated in my eyes to where he would be, uh, that fourth guy on the list at the position. Uh, but I, I don't think there really is that clear cut fourth guy at, at defensive tackle. And I think you know that uh, allows a guy like Fickle, who probably wouldn't have gotten a ton of consideration at most other positions, uh, to potentially make that top four at DT.
1: Dan, I'd like to to offer up a write-in candidate here for Tommy Togi, Big Tom, Dan, who a lot of fans thought, uh, you know, if he played in the national championship game that COVID season, Dan, you you remember the 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 Wears Big Tom memes from that season? Uh, it might have all gone differently for the Buckeyes. So that's just tongue in cheek, but. Funny, nonetheless, I suppose. But Dan, let's move on to some other kind of odds and ends here as we start to wind down uh, this week's show. Um, A lot of teasing on social media from the Ohio State Buckeyes account on Twitter with these all gray uniforms, Uh, unless they're just, you know, uh, going a completely different, different direction with this, Dan, and it's something that something else entirely it certainly looks as though Ohio State's going to do kind of a, a color rush type of deal with a new alternate uniform that we have not previously seen uh, going all gray on us.
0: Yeah, they're not really doing too much of a job to keep this a secret of what they're planning for uh, the November 11 game against Michigan State. So still unconfirmed, but it does feel safe to say at this point that Ohio State is going to wear gray uniforms and do some sort of gray out uh, for that home night game at Ohio Stadium against the Spartans. And we've only gotten a very small glimpse of a uniform so far, but does look like gray jerseys. And I know our, our on-staff sleuth, Josh Paloha, pointed out <laughs> that if you look at that picture closely, the patch on the jersey is scarlet. And if you look historically, The patch of the the Big Ten logo on the jerseys has always matched the color of the numbers. So that would seemingly indicate that these are going to be gray uniforms, scarlet numbers. If you think of the the grays that uh, the Ohio State basketball team wears, maybe it it could look kind of similar to that. I think if this is executed right, it's going to be a pretty sleek look. And uh, it seems like the majority of uh, our readers and listeners agree because in the poll we had on 11 Warriors on Tuesday, 70% of fans said they were in favor of wearing gray uniforms against Michigan State.
1: Yeah, that is that is Andrew Lind level attention to detail by, by our very own Josh Beloha there, Dan. Uh, but yeah, I really liked the 2017 home Penn State game Gray alternate uniforms. I know these are not going to be those, uh, but if that is any indication of just you know perhaps how clean and all gray kind of look could could end up being for Ohio State, I'm certainly in favor.
0: I, I do think the land of a wolves uniforms were more polarizing because they didn't really have that. Uh, traditional Ohio state look. I, I, I think I like the direction they're going with these better because it it, it seems just based on the very little glimpse we've gotten, but it, it seems like these may stay more true to the traditional uniform, but going with an all gray look. And I think if they execute that well, I think it could look really nice.
1: Dan, I know you turned up at Ohio State's uh, Volley for a Cure event on Saturday, and there was plenty of Ohio State football players there that you got to talk to one-on-one. Uh, I guess, who who were those players and what were your biggest takeaways from talking to several current Buckeyes? Yeah, so I spent some time chatting
0: with Brandon Innes and Noah Rogers, which was nice because it was my first time talking to those guys, as well as Jair Brown, who was the only non-freshman at that event. It was uh, 12 football players, Uh, representing the Cohesion Foundation at that event and uh, mostly freshmen. I would say, honestly, like my biggest takeaway from being there and just looking at those freshmen was like, these guys do not look like your typical college freshman. Like these guys look like grown men. Like, I mean, most of those guys that were there were summer enrollees. So they've only been working with Mickey Marathi for a month or two. And yet most of those guys, like they look like they're go ready to go play college football right now. Like you see like a, Calvin Simpson hunt and like that dude looks like a college cornerback. Like a lot of times you see a freshman cornerback come in and they're very skinny. They gotta like put more weight on them. Like that guy looks like he's ready to go play college football now. Now that's not to say that I expect a ton of those guys to play major roles this year. Cause I don't think that, you know, we talked about the depth at the start of a show. I don't think the depth chart is set up in a way this year, but Ohio state is going to need a lot of freshmen to come in and play major roles. But just looking at those guys, you know, I think, you know, you can see both the physical maturity of those guys, and then just seeing the way they handle themselves in an event like that. You can also see, just the you know, personal maturity that those guys have where again, it just, you just don't even like think of it. If you didn't, if you didn't know, I don't think you would have shown up there and thought these guys are a bunch of freshmen because that's not the way they handled themselves. Uh, that's not the way they look for the part physically. So uh, certainly it was good to just be able to spend some time with those guys and, and, you know, be around them and kind of see, you know, how they interacted in that setting and, you know, certainly getting a chance to interview a few of them. And, you know, Brandon Dennis, obviously a guy that I think a lot of Ohio State fans are really excited about uh, seeing for the first time this year. And, you know, he just does not lack confidence in himself. Like he's a guy that he just, he just exudes confidence and what he can become. And I think, it's it's in a it's it's in a way that makes you believe that like yeah this guy is going to go out there he's he's going to be this great player like you just you just get that vibe from talking to him and being around him and so you know he he did talk about you know I asked him I said how have a workouts at Ohio State been so far and he said very 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 hard so uh, he's still getting acclimated to uh, the challenges of the collegiate level but uh, still has tons of confidence in himself and. Uh, you know, he was, he was talking about how, you know, he thinks they could, you know, play him at running back and, you know, throw trick passes him at quarterback. And I, I, I'm a little skeptical of that because <laughs> I mean, you just think of a talent Ohio state has at the skill positions. I, I don't think they're going to get too cute with a, if a freshman wide receiver, I, I, I would be surprised about that, but you know, you never know, but I I would be surprised if they expect him to do much other than just play wide receiver and special teams. But, uh, certainly he's a versatile guy that, you know, over the course of his career, I think has the potential to be a guy that they can do a lot of different things with, uh, Noah Rogers as well. Another guy that, you know, he, you know, he was a little bit less you know, boastful in terms of what he could accomplish this year. I think he was, he was more, you know, yeah, you know what, you know, I want to play this year, but I also understand it's more of a, a long-term process and I'm not, you know, you're not, he's not, you're not here for the instant gratification you're here for, you know, what you can ultimately become over the course of your career. And so, um, you know, I think he's, you know, maybe not quite as much in a boat of expecting to play right away, uh, but certainly a guy that also, you know, has a lot of confidence in himself and is excited about what he can become now that he's in that vaunted Ohio State receiver room.
1: Dan, another thing that I think would be very interesting for Ohio State fans, if you haven't checked it out yet, is Jim Tressel's recent appearance on Chris Holtman's More Than Coach Speak podcast from last week. Uh, I've already written a, a few things from that, because you know, I, th- I think it's really a essential listening for for fans of you know Ohio State, the Jim Trestle era certainly as well. Um, you know, he talked about his his decision and kind of some trying times after obviously the, the tumultuous end to his Ohio State career and the the infamous split there and the tattoo gate situation, everything like that. He said Holtman asked him like, did he ever consider coaching again after you know, Ohio state and, and Trestle talked about his time, his brief time with the Indianapolis Colts as like a, a consultant basically uh, for that one year. And, uh, yeah, but then basically after that said that, you know, it, it's not like he had anything left to, that he really wanted to accomplish because, you know, as an Ohio guy, uh, coaching at Ohio state for 10 years, that's a, a pretty solid run there. And, and certainly not an insignificant uh, amount of time. He said, you know, it's hard to beat an Ohio state, a head coaching job essentially. And, and that, you know, he had been a head coach for 25 years, coaching in general for 37 years and kind of wanted to move on to something different. Also said, Dan, that his career as an administrator at the college level uh, was was just as, as challenging and, and rewarding as coaching. So, you know, great for him to have you know found something else that he loved to do after his, his coaching career and things like that. Another thing that stood out to me, Dan, was his comments about, you know, it was, it was funny because Holman asked him about some of the highlight moments from his career. But he actually immediately went into some of the lowlights when he was asked that because I think you know there was probably probably some of those things at Ohio State you know the perfectionist you have to be as an Ohio State head coach probably some of those things stick out to you more than than the good times because there were certainly a lot of those uh, and he talked about the 2006 team Dan that we we already kind of mentioned before with with Ted Ginn. Um, and he was saying that you know he could kind of tell that the team was kind of lacking focus going to that into that BCS national championship game against Urban Meyer and Florida. And was basically saying like he saw a lot of his guys on, on their phones with their agents and stuff like that. And and said he thought that the the game of the century kind of took a lot out of Ohio State as well. Uh, obviously, that huge number one versus number two matchup uh, in Columbus, Ohio State, Michigan that year. Um, and he also kind of mentioned the the Troy Smith Heisman win after that game is, is potentially being a, a distraction, too. Uh, so I know a lot of fans uh, had feedback on that piece. Dan. what did you make of any of, th- of those comments?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, you honestly probably know the 2016 more than I do just because, you know, you were growing up here in in Columbus. You know, I was a kid in Massachusetts at the time. I watched college football, but I wasn't I wouldn't follow Ohio State more than any other team. And so. Uh, You probably kind of remember a lot of that more than I do, but I mean, I do remember watching that national championship game and obviously it it didn't go well for Ohio state. And so uh, I'm sure that that's one that uh, had kept up, kept Jim Trussell up a lot of nights ever since, you know, wishing that one had gone a different way, because certainly that was a team that had all the talent to win a national championship. But when it got to that highest level, just was not able to execute.
1: Another thing I thought was was pretty amusing from his appearance on the podcast was he talked about you know there needing to be more communication between players and the coaches at Ohio State. That was something that the players would often say on surveys that Tressel would give his players, and because of that, he came up with a, a daily practice grading system uh, where, and then he broke down all, all the five different grades that you could get, and then we're not just talking you know plus or minus or A B C D type of thing. Uh, the, the the top grade was N C, which meant you know national championship. Then you had like a, a Big Ten level performance. Then it was average. Then it was losing. And the the lowest grade you could get, Dan, very fitting for the Ohio State program, maize and blue or MB as he called it. Uh, and, and he said, "Yeah, if if someone got an MB in practice, you were so bad that you helped those guys. I mean, that's how bad you were. They got better, and that got a that got a laugh out of Holtman and company on the podcast. So uh, I included that in my." skull session debut on tuesday because I, I was hoping the fans would would appreciate some of that humor
0: yeah it's, that's pretty harsh i kind of like it though that's kind of a good way to skip a message across if you're uh you're you you if, you, if you're saying you were so bad that you were helping michigan win uh that that, <laughs> that 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 really sends the message but yeah you, you did not have a good day of practice
1: Dan, you mentioned earlier uh, Nick Mangold being a part of that 2023 Ohio State Athletics uh, Hall of Fame class. Uh, also on that list, Malcolm Jenkins, uh, Kelsey Mitchell, among others. Um, and, and anything stand out to you about that that group? Oh, I mean, I think both free names
0: in particular, are certainly all all people who. Uh, belong in the Ohio State Athletics Hall of Fame. I mean, Kelsey Mitchell, one of the most prolific scorers in women's college basketball history, a four-time All-American. So uh, no surprise that she uh, will be going in, uh, certainly. I mean, Nick Mangle, we talked about. It. He's one of gr- Ohio State's greatest interior offensive linemen ever. And Malcolm Jenkins is a guy who's certainly going to get a lot of consideration when we do the cornerbacks edition of Four Kings. And so uh, I think all of them and, and all the athletes on the list, It's it's a great, it's a great group of athletes spanning a bunch of different sports. I have Tom Ryan, the current Ohio state wrestling coach is going to be going in there. Uh, I know a uh, Nicholas Surzen, who's probably the greatest player in Ohio state men's volleyball history is going to be going in. So uh, a great class full of a lot of uh, des- deserving choices.
1: NBA summer league, Dan uh, just wrapped up uh, in Las Vegas, uh, several Buckeyes playing in that Malachi Branham had a, a really good run um, uh, between, I think a game in, and like Sacramento, and then uh, his games in Las Vegas ended up averaging over 21 points per game. Had the 32 point performance, a 29 point performance. Uh, EJ Liddell, who came back from his year long injury layoff, ended up averaging almost 13 points a game. So, a pretty nice showing from him as well as he gets his feet back under him on the hardwood. Bryce Sensabaugh, Ohio State's latest NBA draftee, didn't end up playing as he continues to recover from knee surgery, uh, but it, it doesn't necessarily seem like that's going to be an issue that will hold him out for a significant period of time to start off his NBA career.
0: McCleveland Cavaliers bringing the most illustrious of championships back to Ohio as they (laughs) were uh, officially won the summer league title after an undefeated run out there in Las Vegas on Monday night. Well, as we mentioned at the top of a show, uh, we will be in Indianapolis next week. Ohio state players and Ryan day will meet with the media on Wednesday. So as a result, you can expect next week's edition of real pod Wednesdays to actually be a real pod Thursday, because we are, it would, there would be no reason for us to record a show on Tuesday to publish on Wednesday that will then become obsolete. Once we actually listen to the Ohio state players and coaches talk at big 10 media days. And so we are going to record from Indianapolis on Wednesday. And that episode will be available to you on Thursday morning. And so uh, we look forward to catching back up with you next week from Indianapolis. Uh, Be sure to follow along at 11warriors.com for all of our coverage from there. And we will be back next week.